0: Have you ever considered what makes a brand successful? How one brand supersedes another in the hospitality landscape? Well, it's never a coincidence. It's always a product of well thought out branding strategy that captures the essence of your story. That's why principal design is making brands happen in cafes, restaurants, bars, and venues by crafting experiences that gives customers a reason to choose you. They are raising the standard of our industry and helping venues realize that strong brand presence is the key that unlocks all the good stuff like increased full traffic, higher engagement and overall happy customers. Branding ultimately becomes the face that engages your audience, delights them at every moment of their dining experience and eventually earns their loyalty. Because you're part of the PO community, we'd love to help you kickstart your brand journey. For a limited time only, Principal Design is offering free strategy sessions for our listeners. So jump over to the bio in the podcast description and book your time slot. Welcome to another principle of hospitality podcast i'm your host sean devries thanks so much for tuning to this episode principle of hospitality has been developed to tell the stories of professionals within the dynamic world of hospitality we're straight talking ethically minded and a reliable online source of information and inspiration for people in the hospitality industry now with today's program today we have two very special guests with us People who are making a real difference in the world by supporting young people from asylum seekers, refugees and migrant backgrounds in their journey towards employment. Scarf Community is on a mission to support young people who face barriers to work and their organisation has created a program that provides training and job opportunities in the hospitality industry. Through their innovative model of partnering with restaurants to provide awesome training, mentoring and paid work experience, SCARF have offered a total of 322 trainee positions to young people facing barriers to work and last year saw their 300th trainee graduate. Today we are talking about Autumn SCARF Dinners, which is a collaboration between SCARF Community and Cassette, which is a zero waste cafe in Kensington. So it's a delight to welcome co-founder and CEO of SCARF Community, Hannah Brennan, and Laura Bolton, the head chef of Cassette. Hey Hannah, hey Laura. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. How are you both? Good, thank you, Sean. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you for asking me. Like, no one ever asked me. No. Um, so I appreciate that. So That's good. lovely. <laughs> um, now, Hannah, as we said as we said in the introduction, SCARF has been around for a, uh, an amazing amount of time. It does so much good for the hospitality community, for, for the asylum seekers and refugees that you help. Can you tell us a bit about how Staff Community got started? And what motivated uh, you to focus on supporting young people from asylum seekers, refugees, and migrant backgrounds in particular?
1: Yeah, sure. So, Scarf started in 2010, so we're coming up to our 13th birthday this year. Well, I know, feel (laughs) huge, feel a little bit old saying Mm. that. Um, I had been working in hospitality for about 10 years, Mm -hmm. working in some really great venues around Melbourne love working in hospo for the most part and um, I was also doing some volunteering in um, 2009 in and around sort of Fitzroy um, in particular with the social studio Mm -hmm. who are an amazing organisation work with um, people from refugee backgrounds and helping them to um, get access to training and employment and what I started finding was like in conversations with a lot of these and particularly young people that were either quite newly arrived or perhaps they'd been in Australia for a few years and done some schooling here, but they just couldn't get that first job. They Mm. just sort of couldn't get a foot in the door. And they were so determined and they wanted to be working, um, but no one was giving them a chance. And often they didn't have any experience to put on their resume or, you know, particularly local experience, which is really important. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I guess Scarf was born out of a bit of a frustration um, myself and one of my workmates at the time, Jess Moran, um, we, we just wanted that to change. We wanted to make it easier for these awesome young people to get jobs. And yeah. we knew that the hospitality industry needed more keen young people. All of the conversations we were having with our bosses at, at the time were like, yeah, let's, you know, we need more staff, particularly in events work. And, you know, there are always jobs in hospitality. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we just wanted to bridge, bridge that gap. And so I think, you know, we, Jess and myself had both had really great mentors and had found, you know, that was such an important way to, to learn and build our own networks. And so we always saw that mentoring was going to be a really important part of SCARF. Um, and we also had no money, so we weren't about to go and start a restaurant. <laughs> so basically called in a lot of favours from friends. Um, so a friend who... Um, owned a little venue down in Westgarth, um, was happy for us to come in and run like a dinner series once a week. Um, we, we always saw that getting like real experience with diners was was also key mm-hmm. um, rather than just sort of sitting in a classroom and learning about this is hospitality, this is service. Um, particularly, I think, because um, majority of the young people we work with, like English is a second or third language. And so that hands-on element was really important, um, not having a huge amount of reading and writing in in the way that we run the training program. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just sort of blossomed from there. We, we started connecting with some really great organisations early on, like the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre, Brotherhood of St Lawrence, starting to understand um, more and more the barriers that these young people were facing um, so that we could sort of tailor this program to get around some of those barriers and and start getting these awesome people into jobs. Yeah. Um, And here we are.
0: Were you surprised by the impact in the first year?
1: Yeah, I think even the very first program we ran, we did a little mini evaluation. Um, we actually had Grace, who's the co-founder of The Social Studio, help us do some evaluation. I didn't even know what evaluation meant back then. I was <laughs> I was a waiter. I was way out of my depth. Um, we'd had eight... Trainees in the first program. Um, The the pilot program ran for 12 weeks. So it was basically 12 weeks of a weekly training session in the afternoon and then a dinner service. Mm. Um, So our trainees were getting hands on training across a bunch of different elements of hospitality and then working in a real functioning restaurant for a few hours. Um, So we did some surveying um, of the trainees, of the mentors who'd engaged in that program. Um, and also looked at you know post-program and it was only actually three months after they had graduated seven out of eight of the graduates were in jobs and so that to us you know even though we didn't understand a lot about evaluation or necessarily community development like that was all to come but at that point we knew well this works to achieve that main aim of getting people into jobs so why not keep running with it you know the initial idea was let's do this kind of practice run in someone else's restaurant and then we'll find the money and someone, some magic person was going to give us all this money and we were <laughs> going to start a restaurant. I mean, that is what we thought was, was the answer. Right. But what we realized early on from partnering with a venue, um, and then going on the following year to partner with a few different venues was this is a really good and cost-effective way of, 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 doing this um because the overheads are much much lower there's much less risk um it keeps us mobile um it's more interesting for our diners because we're always moving around to different venues um and you know I think for the trainees coming into the program it's a really great it allows them to come into a functioning restaurant. They're not just coming to do training and work at a training restaurant which inevitably if we had have started our own venue that's what Scarf would be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, you know, we have seen through a lot of the evaluation we've done that, you know, belonging and being part of a venue, being part of Melbourne culture, is an important part of what we do mm. beyond just the the training, the skills, and that type of thing.
0: I was going to say as well, like Laura, I'm super keen on your um, idea here, but it's also a shared experience, right? Because if you're moving, if you're moving these great dinners around the place in Melbourne, then you also get a benefit as a venue from your team.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, From my perspective, it's it's really what makes SCARF so dynamic. Like having the opportunity to see SCARF pop up in so many different aspects of our community as a restaurant, as restaurants and with HOSPO, it helps everybody to see SCARF from a different perspective every single time. Mm. And like it helps to keep the bookings, High every single time because every restaurant has a dif- has a different offering, every restaurant has a different aspect of what they want to show um, all the trainees, and it gives that such a an incredible like opportunity to everyone who comes as a diner, as a chef, as a waiter, as like a mentor or a mentee. It helps everybody to consistently see something different, but with that consistent level of training, it's yeah. it's such an incredible way to to train and evolve our new hospo people, who are the basically the next generation of hospitality workers, to experience something different every single time is so beautiful because it's what you experience in hospo. You never work in one venue almost never work in one venue through your whole career. Mm. And so it's just a beautiful way to expose people to what HOSPO really is, Mm. and the beauty of what HOSPO can be in the networking, the building relationships, the changing and dynamic aspects of everything that we do. Mm. For me, it's just a super exciting thing to watch and be a part of.
0: Awesome. Um, I can't wait to hear your further thoughts um, as we we talk about the autumn dinner series. Um, Now, Hannah, back to you. Obviously, the organisation has a unique model that combines hospitality, training and employment, right? So uh, can you walk us through how the Scarf Dinner Program works and what kind of impact it has on the young people that you've worked with so far and then this new calibre that's coming through for this season?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we have eight... Eight new trainees join the program, and we also have eight mentors who sign up. and They are hospitality professionals. They volunteer their time with us. Um, our mentors are almost the lifeblood of our program. They're absolutely essential to the way we work with the trainees. Um, they play a really, really crucial role during the dinners. So they they work in a one to one ratio with the trainees, um, providing you know, really amazing support and guidance um, and also networks into the hospitality industry. Mm. But I'll come back to that. Um, So basically the structure of the program is at the moment we do Wednesdays, we do an afternoon training session. The training sessions change weekly. So we'll focus on um, customer service and formal service in the the early weeks, um, building confidence, uh, wine training, bar, cocktail, learning about beer all those types of things Mm. and then in the second half of the program moving into more job readiness type things like we do a resume workshop where we learn not just how to write a really awesome resume and get scarf dinners on there and have your references up to date but also role playing like if you see a sign up in your local cafe and you want to go in and drop your resume in what do you say you know how do you pick the right time to do that we've got a flow chart that's awesome. Um, and we do this really fun session where, you know, often the trainees at the beginning of it are like, I couldn't possibly walk into a restaurant and just hand over my resume. And we're like, you can, and you will. And this is this is how we do it. And we set it up. We have our awesome training and restaurant manager, Mia. We we, we, we set up Mia's bar and grill and um, <laughs> the trainees sort of one by one do it. And by the end, they're like, of course I can do that. You know, yeah. you've just got to fight off those initial nerves and then, you know, put yourself out there. Um, and then we also move on to like interview practice with awesome, generally with hospitality managers, but also more broadly with people in the industry. And Sean, as you mentioned before, mm-hmm. you actually took part in one of our interview yeah, sessions was awesome. a couple of years ago. Mm. And that's, again, just it's all about building confidence, just breaking down that fear around, you know, I don't know what I'm going to say. I'm not sure how to present myself. So we do... Um, you know an intro into that session um, you know we do some preparation for it but then it's very much a real life round robin of getting to be sit face to face with um, the, the the kinds of people who um, our graduates are going to be interviewed by um, and then doing some feedback around that um, and then yeah, every week during a seasonal program, we have a dinner, um, we have real paying customers, we have a, a great set menu, a fantastic drinks list. Um, our trainees basically go through they typically rotate around the restaurant week to week. So there'll be a few weeks they'll work in a section. There'll be one week that they'll work behind the bar, another week maybe doing the door, running drinks. Um, so they really get to see the gamut of the front of house roles um, and learn about all the different aspects, how to put an order into the POS system, how to time, you know, calling away chef with the second course, um, cause it's a sort of two course set menu, Nice, um, you know, sometimes upselling drink specials and things like that. And they've got the mentor there beside them. So you'll sort of see in the early weeks of the program, the mentors take quite an active role. They'll often be demonstrating, this is how we pour a bottle of wine. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, um, they might be quite active in taking the order with the trainee. And then as the weeks go on, you see this like massive shift happen, um, where basically the mentors pretty much get told in the final couple of weeks to stand aside (laughs) and the (laughs) trainees just take over and and run the service. But the mentor's still there. We've had, through some of our surveying we've done of trainees, um, this always sticks out to me, one of our graduates said, the mentor is like a friendly shadow, you know. That's a cool way to think of it. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, a lot of our mentors have come back season after season, they might sort of take a break for a while and then they come back Every season we run, we typically have, you know, at least a couple of new mentors come in. So it's sort of an ever-changing group, um, which is great for, you know, that networking element when it comes to the end of the program. Um, I've lost count of how many times a mentor has connected a graduate up with a job. Um, And I think speaking to, um, yeah, the, the impact or some of the outcomes we've seen, Going back to 2019, we ran an autumn season, um, actually up at the Rochi with Misha, yep. <laughs> who Laura's worked with, um, Misha Tropp. Um, one of the trainees in that program, Njot, um, amazing young guy. And towards the end of the season, one of our mentors, Nellie, was like, hey, I've got a friend who's just opening Bodrigi Brewing and mm. they need staff. And so sort of hooked up for Nyot to have an interview. Mm-hmm. He went in, um, started as a, as a food runner, bussy role, He's now a duty manager there, like he's been there for, I think, coming up three years. Um, There have been so many instances of our graduates going on, whether it's directly through a mentor connection, it might be a connection through someone else in the SCAF team. Um, We're always working hard to sort of keep those networks open and, you know, make sure that our graduates really... Um, get presented with a range of opportunities. We're not just trying to funnel everyone into one particular job or one part of the industry Um, because it's also about recognizing like our trainees are not all looking for the same thing. Like the goal is not always full-time work. Um, Some of our trainees are studying, some of them have family responsibilities. Um, Sometimes casual or part-time work is ideal and obviously great. You know, the hospital industry is so broad, so varied. Um, and so we're just always trying to connect people up with the, the job that's going to be right for them. Um, and we've seen that, you know, countless times. Mm-hmm. I was actually thinking on my way in this morning about one of our graduates, um, a young woman called Newich. She did the program back in 2012. Um, wow, feels okay. like a lifetime ago. <laughs> it is a lifetime ago. <laughs> it, is, it is actually. Um, so it was like early days of scarf and, um, like, I'll never forget Newwich's interview because she was this very bubbly, bright young woman and, um, you know, there was no doubt she was going to excel at Scarf. Like, we could just say, yep, she's just ready to get going. But she told us she'd been applying for jobs for a year, right, and just hadn't even got an interview. And I remember she said to us, I can't even get a cleaning job. No one will even hire me to clean. And she's like, "I'm not, I'm a good cleaner, you know. And I just thought, what, you know, and I think this is where... Um, It's interesting to look back. I think my naivety in those early days was a very real thing, you know, where I was like sitting opposite this young person going, why is no one hiring her? Like, she's going to be an asset, right? And and I think as the years have gone on and the more research I've looked at and the more conversations I've had with, Mm -hmm. you know, now hundreds of trainees that have come through the program, some of the barriers to to jobs, to fair work opportunities that our trainees face are just like, they're almost insurmountable. I mean, you've got outright discrimination, racism, Mm. then you've got unconscious bias, you know, the lack of local work experience, um, you know, oftentimes we're working with people with mental health challenges and that impacts their confidence, you know, Um, there are just so many things. But Newich came through the program. She was a superstar, as we kind of assumed she would be, and um, she was working with a great mentor, Highwell, who at the time was at um, the Sofitel on Collins. Um, so Highwell was like, let's, you know, try and hook you up with an interview. Um, Newich. Impressed and um, got offered a food and beverage attendant role at the number thirty five. You know, no, wow. no biggie. Just like the mm, fancy yes. um, Sofitel restaurant. Yeah. Um, I remember. You know, keeping in touch with Newwich a bit. A couple of years in, she she was also studying at William Angliss. I remember probably twenty fourteen. She messaged me. She's like, "Hey, I just bought my first car," and I was like, "Oh, that's wow. so cool." You know. She emailed me at the end of last year. So we're talking ten years hey, just wondering if any of your graduates want to come to an open um, interview day at the Sofitel. So she's still there 10 years on. Wow. And, you that's know,
0: incredible.
1: Mm. I think, yeah. It's I,
0: incredible but not surprising.
1: Well, that's it yeah. because it's like, well, she shouldn't – it shouldn't have taken a year for her to get a job in the first place. Um, and, I mean, there are lots of other instances, you know, and these awesome full circle moments like Nagasi, one of our grads from 2015, mm. Like, amazing young guy. Went on to Garden State, Siglo, City Wine Shop, like just a gun. Um, he came back as a mentor in our 2018 program wow. at Stomping Ground. How cool. And then, um, you know, we've got one of our team members, Mia, who um, did the program, first did a short course with us in 2015, then did a full season in 2016. Um, went on to work at, um, well, he was at Crown for a while, then uh, running Superling, Then we sort of poached him, sorry, (laughs) Ian. And um, and he's been our restaurant training manager for nearly three years now. Gosh. It's amazing. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. It's a program of superstars. It is. There's superstars all around us all the time.
0: You just got to see them. Yeah. Um, Laura, let's talk about um, autumn scarf dinners, right, Um, and why yourself and the cassette team – You focus on food waste, why you want to be part of this program this year. So, obviously, we're recording this just before the Autumn Scarf Dinner's launch. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I'm sure you're very, very excited. But um, why are you guys um, a part of it for?
2: Um, I think... It's really quite simple. Why wouldn't you want to be a part of something so spectacular? I mean, I have known Hannah for a really long time. I um, actually was a mentor myself in 2011, 14? 14, 14, yeah, so 2014 even. <laughs> so it's been 11 years is what I was trying to Oh, know. okay, awesome. Yeah, um, uh, Yeah. anyway, it's just an amazing program. It's something that I've been super passionate about my whole career Is is – recognizing people for who they are and, and the helping to build their skill set from the ground up because essentially I left school with nothing, no skills and like I was born into privilege. I'm, I'm a white Australian person who was able to go to college after school and to do all those things and naturally fell into roles because I had friends who had other roles and so I then was able to build on my skill set quite quickly and i felt like it was really important to be able to deliver that back to people who couldn't so like helping build up apprentices and helping to um integrate friends of mine who needed work into roles as well and um i felt like that was a super important thing to do as a veteran of hospitality now for 23 years as a chef and (laughs) and then another five years before that in hospo wow um before i started cooking professionally so yeah it's a long time um i just it's something that there's so many people just miss out on opportunities because they have a different name or they speak a different language or they look kind of different i just think all of that needs to go away
3: yeah
2: and people need to be a bit more blind to that to that and and just allow people opportunities to shine and I think that Hannah and Scarf do that in such an incredible way and have done that in such an incredible way for such a long time.
3: Mm.
2: That as soon as there was a connection made with cassette, everyone was just jumping up and down with the excitement about how cool it would be to host something so beautiful in our space, which is such a stunning space. Um, and, yeah, we just all, we were just so excited and just wanted to get on board and we just worked together to make it happen. And now we're a matter of weeks away from hosting our first dinner and everyone is just over the moon. So it's great.
0: <laughs> For someone who hasn't been to Cassette before, can you sort of describe the venue and what people can expect from this series?
2: Yeah, um, it's a very organic-looking venue. Like, we have a lot of foliage and plants and um, recycled timber floors and, and beautiful pale timber tables and lots of really nice soft furnishings. Mm. Um, Aesthetically, it's a very pleasing space to look at. um, And and I do have a a sense of bias towards that as well (laughs) because I work there every day and I think it's beautiful. (laughs) Of course. Um, In terms of the food, essentially what we do as a cafe space is um, we work with a a root-to-stalk model. Like We have a very um, high focus on Zero waste, we're a zero zero food waste space. We're working towards um, making ourselves as as economic for the environment as we possibly can in all areas. But Mm. at the moment, we're we're strong focus on zero food waste. we work with local farms and producers and um, suppliers to make sure that we get the most hyper-local produce that we can, and then we do with the produce the best we can with, with every element of it, from peelings and turning them into to dehydrated vegetable powders, which we use to season our foods, that, that the main ingredient comes through, um, to wow. waste milk from the baristas goes into yoghurt and all sorts of things like that. So that element, I guess, we're, we're highly trained, um, chefs and we all come from a food background in restaurants and um you know product development and all sorts of stuff and some of them have even worked in tv and stuff so behind the scenes so for us it's not just about it being a cafe it's about delivering the best product possible to to the paying customer so um yes we serve a lot of eggs Right, but it doesn't mean that the food that we produce isn't restaurant quality. So yep. everything we do, we do with that with that aim in mind. So we're always trying to break our own glass ceiling in terms of what we're capable of producing and fermenting and um, turning into something cool. So we, um, essentially, the scarf dinner series is just an elevation of what we do from the cafe sense. We're moving towards a more of a wine bar esque style of food. Um, uh, it's just. What we do without eggs, essentially. So it's it's, not it's, it's yes. an evening menu. Um, yeah. Just refining it, just that, just that little bit more. Just putting those little tweaks on that give it a little bit more of a, a nighttime vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people expect just a little bit more at night um, out of their dining experience, and that's what we're there to deliver. So, I
0: imagine it must be pretty fun to have a venue which doesn't normally trade at night, all of a sudden trade at night and do it for a short, a short term, right? Like it's, yeah. it must be a really fun series to do.
2: Uh, it's it's so exciting, um, and as I say, like we all work in this environment because we have found it to be the most sustainable way to ex- exercise our enjoyment for food, but also have a life outside of hospital. Yep. And so, like working days is great for us; it means we get to go home and have our family time at night, and that's 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 awesome. Um, but being able to do these special events and have these like exercise our sort of commitment to restaurants restaurant quality food is like it's just such a beautiful experience to be able to just go we're just going to smash this for the next eight weeks and just have the best food possible come out of this kitchen and do it in a way that is such a different kind of food than we do on a daily basis and then it's like people don't necessarily want to eat what they have for breakfast at dinner or what they have at dinner for breakfast so it's a really nice way for us to just have those higher levels of expectation and um, create this that level of refinement that people want at night. That's the that's the exciting thing for I think for my team and the project. Mm. Yeah.
0: How hard was it to implement a zero waste mentality and process with inside the venue? Because the thing I love about the venues that you've picked over the years is they're inspirational venues. Like Cassette, right? Yeah. The importance of training eight trainees is the fact they're gonna learn Amazing skill sets and amazing philosophies and values out of the brands they work in and the venues they work in, mm. um, including something like Zero Waste, like the impact that they can have from the learnings that they get out of working at Cassette can go and work at other Melbourne venues or other interstate venues. Mm. How hard was it to actually implement that, though, at Cassette?
2: Uh, I think for me it's been a lifelong dream to be able to, as a, in my career as a chef, to be able to deliver on that promise um and because i had the opportunity to open cassette from the beginning from the very very first day i had was that was the policy yeah like there was there was no question this like, is what it, we it do was, this is mm-hmm. what we do and this mm-hmm. is how we're going to deliver on it and if anyone has any ideas about anything in terms of how to turn something into something else or something that's been turned into something to be something else mm-hmm. that was the ethos in which i built my team and that was the ethos in which my team has then built on their exposure to that. And so we just keep growing and evolving as a team. As we've added more people to the team, we just have evolved our knowledge and grown. And everybody has the opportunity every single day to play. And that sense of play has ex- like expanded our knowledge and has just developed our team into just the most dynamic and, and exciting place to be every day. Like. Every single person who's coming to the kitchen as a casual is, is kind of like, oh, so when can I be a full-timer or, like, when, when, when can I please work here more or, like, uh, you know, I want to push this person outside that I can have more shifts. There's none of that sort of political, like, bitchiness or anything, but mm-hmm. everyone's just so enthralled by what we're doing and so excited to be there every day that it's like everyone just wants to be there more. And it's like, when can I do another shift? Or when can I, can I please come back? Or like someone's on leave go can I please have extra shifts? I just want to be a part of this. Or they want to come in on the day off to check on the ferments. Or they want to, you know, it's just a really fun place to be. Because more than anything, it's about playing and experimenting and creating that's what delivers that happiness to a lot of people. It's just like that The level of play is something that you don't get to experience in a lot of environments anymore because we're so commercially driven, rightly so. But you also have to think about what you're throwing away is also driving a commercial imbalance. Well done. Thank you. (laughs)
0: Um, I mean that. I was going to ask you, like, was there someone in your journey as a chef who... Led you in a way to be as open as you are, because the way that you're talking is very refreshing. Well,
3: oh, thank you. And I
0: remember, and I remember back when I, I used to run restaurants and cafes and bakeries and all that kind of stuff. And up until the point when I was about thirty, I was a not a nice person to probably to be around all the time. Mm. And then I got sort of my wings clipped from a manager above me and said, "What are you doing here? Like, you need to open up and actually be." Uh, personable with your team and, and show them what you're doing not just lead and take the ego with you right mm. like have you just always been that dynamic or is there someone along the w- I'm being serious with you yeah, Laura, no, like, I, or is there I someone laugh, along the I way that sort of trained you and helped yeah. you
2: yeah no look I laugh because um, as a veteran of the industry and as someone who started as a young female in the industry mm. starting at when I was a kid you know when I was 14 years old working in delis as a kid <laughs> like I worked with a lot of not nice people. Like I understand as a person with a slightly neurodivergent brain and, and and someone who had learning difficulties and didn't wasn't the norm. I didn't fit into the box that everybody wanted to be fit into. Yeah. You know, I did, I came up sort of not feeling great about the way I was trained, not feeling great about my position in the world because it never felt comfortable. I never felt comfortable because everybody wanted to constantly just put you in a box. To learn this way, do this this way. This is the way it happens. Yeah. So when I finally got the opportunity to be someone's boss, I was an asshole.
3: Yeah.
0: Because me too. that's
2: how everybody had trained me to be. Yes. And then I was like looking at myself in this other person's eyes going, "Why do not why am I doing this?" You know, like everybody is reacting so badly. I'm going home. I feel like shit. Mm. I'm going home like so anxious, so upset, not enjoying, not getting any results. And then like over time, it's just evolved that I am just like, okay, if, if I'm not getting results this way, then I, there's got to be a better way of looking at this. So I just started training myself in how to get better results out of people was just be a nicer person. And ultimately, it's just got <laughs> to the point where I'm like, so simple. I have to just, I want to treat someone like I want to be treated, right? And if I don't learn that way then how, how can I expect somebody else to just learn that way? So I've just evolved over time and just grown and developed and just done a lot of research, done a lot of therapy, kind of worked really hard to just genuinely live my morals and to just genuinely be a nicer person and just the best that I can get out of myself is the best that I can get out of my team. And so therefore, if I'm a really nice person to be around and if I work really hard then the people around me are going to want to be really nice people and they're going to want to work really hard too. Like, there have been times where that hasn't worked well and people take the piss, but ultimately they're not the people who I still work with. And so that's my ethos now is just, like, to just be the best you can. It doesn't matter if that's not the best somebody else wants from you. It's the, it's the best you can. And that's how I live. <laughs>
1: I reckon what's going to happen now is you're going to start getting all these resumes flying <laughs> into cassette because so she should. everybody was going to want to come work yeah. with you. But honestly, like, I'm, I haven't spent a huge amount of time at cassette, but every time I've been in, there's this amazing energy in the space, right? And every person who works as part of cassette um, and, you know, there's just this positivity. Like, I think you've yep. created a culture that is... Like people want to be part of it, obviously, and it, that is yeah. so exciting for scarf and I just think we feel so grateful to be coming into such an incredible venue with you know that is that has these really strong values and is sticking by them and I just think, yeah, this is like it's a match made in heaven um, oh thank you That's, no really little,
2: yeah. I mean, I guess, even from a customer perspective, we've even had a customer, I mean, it's not an isolated incident, but it was one of the first ones, so it kind of sticks with me a little bit. She came up to the pass, because we have a full open kitchen, yep. and she just said, I just love coming in here, and my chef said, oh, oh, that's great, I'm I'm so glad you're enjoying the food, and she said, no, everyone just smiles all the time, and it's so nice, I just love coming in here, because everyone's always smiling. Yeah. And I mean, of course, everybody has their moments. Everybody has bad days. everybody has a, has something that happens. but ultimately, it's just about being the best you can and just showing up. And then just show up, be the best you can, and you're going to have a good day. Some people are going to have bad days, but you're still doing the best you can with what you've got in the time. Mm. Yeah And for me, that's that's what being a good boss is, showing up, doing the very best you can for the very for every single one of your staff members everybody is the same like i'll wash dishes just as much as i run the pass Mm -hmm. because ultimately like you're only as good as your weakest link and your weakest link doesn't need to be a weak link if you treat everybody well Mm. so yeah that's the ethos
0: isn't that one of the best moments you have in the hospitality industry though that someone will come up to you as a leader and they won't just say that person was great they'll say the whole team was great Mm. yeah because then you know it's cultural
2: yeah Hmm. then you
0: know you're creating real change
2: yeah it feels really good that every single person who works with us from a i know specifically from a kitchen perspective they don't want to leave they don't (laughs) want to go home at the end of the day they can't wait to come to work in the morning they they're just like super pumped to like write their name next to each job that they've ticked off on the list like just like that level of of proud is it's just Insurmountable. Like that's just so exciting for us as a team and, and to be working in hospitality and then to offer that to someone like scarf and say, Hey, look at what we're doing. How good is this? Like mm. to be able to show that to other people, I'm mm. sure you had a similar experience at Luminal because mm. the guys there are just phenomenal. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's like, that's what hospital should be mm. Hospo should be hospitality. It shouldn't be this negative, torturous place to be every week and yep. just, like, can't wait to crawl my way out of this <laughs> hole because I'm going to move on to
1: the next thing. Yeah. yeah. Like,
2: we're a training ground for amazing people. We should be that.
1: We should be amazing. Absolutely. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people that could learn a lot from your, you know, approach. Mm. And I think the hospitality industry, yeah, it's an amazing industry. And I, uh, you know, I've got a lot to be grateful for for what it gave me. And I think what it instilled in me and that I've taken into SCARF, you know, um, and so much of what we do, yeah, it is about skills and training and network, but it's also about belonging and, you know, building confidence, making friendships. Like so many of the people we work with are, are quite isolated. Um, Community. You know, that's it, community, yeah. and you know, yeah, there's there's some bad apples out there. I think I think we've come a long way in ten years. I think I there's still a long way to go. Yeah, mm. um, and and that's something we're really conscious of um, as we're taking our trainees through the program. And it's like, it's a double-edged sword, right? We go to a venue like liminal where we've just been um, with the mulberry group you know with hazel chefs doing the cooking amazing guys and just they get what we do and they're so supportive and laura you know we you've been a mentor with scarf and just your whole approach your kitchen team i you know have no doubt it's going to be a really positive experience for our trainees and help us keep scarf this really safe and inclusive environment but we also have to have some very real conversations as we near the end of the program that not every restaurant is like this, yeah. you know? You might go and work in a place where your head chef is not gonna be as friendly as Laura, you know? Mm. And it's just about preparing people for the realities of the industry, of hospitality and, and beyond, like just, work, you know, working in Australia. Um, we've had some of our awesome graduates come back and um, like talk to new trainees at like our job readiness sessions. And a lot of what they tell the trainees is, you know, it's pretty tough out there. It's like, you know, they will say like, hey, scarf is great and fun and, you know, enjoy it, but get ready for like really long shifts and, Mm -hmm. you know, not so nice bosses. Like not everyone is as friendly as the scarf team and Mm. the partner restaurants. And I think that's really important too, because, you know, inevitably like we can't wear a short-term training program and we do equip people with a lot of really important stuff that they need, including I didn't mention it before, but we do a session on um, understanding your work rights in Australia, you know, knowing what the role of fair work is, understanding the very complex award wage system, Mm. um, what your rights and responsibilities are as an employee and where to go and ask for help if you're being exploited, you think you're being mistreated. you know, we, as, as the SCARF team, sort of say, look, we're always here. You can come to us. We might not be able to give the, you the advice you need, but we can send you in the right direction. But really just trying to empower people to understand, you know, what it is that they um, should expect from an employer so they know the red flags to look out for. Um, because, you know, beyond SCARF, it's like we can't, uh, we can't hold them in our little...
3: Mm. you know, bubble. embrace
1: and bubble mm. for, forever. It's it's we, we can hopefully give them a really positive start to working in the industry or help them figure out that maybe hospitality isn't for them and mm. that's okay too. And mm-hmm. that's been the reality for, you know, some of our grads who have gone on to other industries. You know, doing some training and work in hospitality can still be an awesome start to, Absolutely. you know, moving into something else.
2: I think it's, it, it's about creating a healthy baseline, right? Like understanding all of those things that you've just said but also about like how what are your boundaries Mm -hmm. how do you how to expect to be treated how to treat other people Mm -hmm. how to engage in a healthy and positive working experience regardless of the industry you end up in Mm -hmm. i mean it's all about that baseline and understanding what that means in australia comparatively yes obviously a lot of other countries have a lot of other systems and way that they ways that they work and expect their workers to work but this is what the baseline is in Australia and this is the standard that we're setting.
3: Yeah.
2: And if we create a really healthy and happy standard for that to be, then we should eventually evolve into that, mostly being the way that we are. Hope so. Hope so. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Well, we ha- like Hannah says, we have come a long way. Yeah. A really long Like the industry I started in is night and day. Compared oh. to Totally agree. Yeah. <laughs> night and day.
0: Yeah. Um, I'm sure we could both sh- share some stories, all three of us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you think the fact that you're having these honest conversations with the trainees is the reason why the retention rate is so high, obviously, within the program, but also so many of them get jobs in the industry afterwards because they can actually prepare themselves for what reality is once they come out of this incredible bubble that they're in for this time?
1: Yeah, I I think it probably is a factor. Um, I think... We, we do have a really high retention rate. That's something we're really proud of. We very rarely have trainees drop out of the program mm. and if they do, it's usually in circumstances that are outside of, of SCARF, really. Um, we One of our values is fun and, you know, for all the, the hard work we all put in and the expectations we put on the trainees to, you know, to push themselves and to set to set goals, you know, goals that are realistic but also... You know, sometimes we we push them a little bit um, because what they think they might be capable of um, might actually, um, yeah, What you know, they might not be aware of what they're capable of Mm -hmm. at the point they come into the SCARF program. And once they get started and they start doing some training and working with the mentors, it's like suddenly it does start to sort of open up their worlds and their self-belief starts to, to grow. I think there's a combination of things. I guess, you know, we as a team, myself, Lauren, Neil and Mia, like we're a small team. We're a very small team. Um, I'm not super hands-on in the program anymore. So essentially it's a team of three, mm. three amazing people who are really passionate about what we do. They believe in the program. They believe in the capacity of the of the trainees um, and they really genuinely provide really great support and guidance um, to make sure that every trainee who comes through SCARF um, meets you know as many of their own personal goals as possible and working with them on that individual level to figure out, you know, what do you want and how can we help you get there. Like I think that, you know, if I break it down, I think that personal connection, you know, the relatively small numbers that we work with at any one time, it means we're able to create this like really incredibly tight-knit little community within each season that we do like some of the training and mentor relationships that develop and they go on for years Uh, laura you worked with was it sharam back Mm -hmm. in the program in 2014 and you stayed in touch with him right for
2: years yeah Yeah, for years afterwards wow and we had a really amazing amazingly successful like mentor mentee relationship like he was a an incredibly nervous character when i first started could barely even hold a conversation with me when i first started with him and by the end was sort of when I had met his extended family and we were having a like dinner together in their home and like having you know wonderful experiences outside of that and he came to work with me for a short period of time in between jobs and also like all these amazing things like he basically was unable to hold a conversation with me at the beginning and toward the end we were having dinner together and he came to work with me and he was like the most vibrant and excitable young character and you couldn't shut him up basically (laughs) by the end of it it was was wonderful it was a beautiful experience
0: so it's a question to both of you um this off the record um sorry it's on the record it's not on this um do you think there's elements of the scarf program that should be taught at TAFEs and colleges throughout Australia and the reason I asked that, and later on in the podcast series, uh, a couple of episodes after this goes live, um, we're going to be talking with uh, a chef called Damon, and he's been in the industry for over 40 years, originally from um, from India, but he's also um, worked in the Middle East and, and uh, during the wars and all this kind of stuff, and he's come to Australia and he's uh, he trains at Box Hill TAFE, mm-hmm. and he also studies um, as well because he's got – so much time in his hands. That's facetious. He also has a restaurant, um, but he's writing a thesis on the disconnection between formal and informal training and the industry, mm. right? And how hard it is to go from being at TAFE to then going and being a chef or being someone front of house in the industry. But everything you're talking about today is really building these amazingly talented trainees in this amazing environment with fantastic programs to be job ready. Mm. And I think that's something which maybe TAFEs and, and hospitality colleges don't do enough of yet. Do you think there's a place where SCARF could assist industry a bit more for a wider program, do you think?
1: Yeah, maybe. That's pretty loaded. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to preface that for you. <laughs> 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 yeah. Look, I, yeah, I think in the early days of SCARF, I was very much, um, I was quite narrow-minded in thinking that the most important thing, like the, the the best way to get a job was to kind of know someone and to, you know, have someone to vouch for you. Sure. And I mean, I guess essentially that was my experience. Like that's quite an egotistical privilege position to have. Mm. Um, and I'm happy to say that. And we, we could have a whole other separate conversation for hours about that. Um, but uh, I think, hmm. I still believe that, like, in hospitality, like, hands-on experience, real experience, serving real customers. I just think there's so much of hospitality that you can't learn in a classroom. Yeah. But, you know, I would go – in the earlier days of SCARF, I – didn't think certificate training in, of any kind was was important other than like obviously you need an rsa to work in a licensed venue mm-hmm. and we have a partnership with complete hospitality training and they offer like free courses for our trainees which is awesome oh wow it's so valuable mm. so they do their rsa training while they're on the scarf program and sometimes they do a food handlers as well cool i think over the years in talking with trainees talking with referral agencies like my mind is a bit more open now as to like formalised training can be really beneficial. Like it's not the, I don't think it's the key, but I don't think there's any one key. There's mm. like, there's just the too elements. many, yeah, there's yeah. so many factors at play. And even with the young people we work with, you know, they're all at different life stages. Like in one program, we will often be working with someone who has zero work experience in Australia or anywhere else. They might be 18 or 19, you know, um, say they're newly arrived and yeah they've never worked before but then in the same program we'll be working with someone who um, has worked in their home country you know they might have a qualification that's not recognized in Australia Um, and so coming to SCARF to do some kind of basic hospitality training is not a step back like I don't think it's ever a step back because there's so much to be gained from being part of the SCARF team for a season even Mm. if it's even if the skills and the knowledge isn't really so important. Um, Yeah, I I don't know. I think, like, our principles of, you know, and similar to what Laura was saying, like, treat others as you want to be treated. Like, just be bloody kind, be inclusive, which, you know, I think is just really obvious and I wish, (laughs) like, more people just approach their work in that way, Um, you know... I think the mentoring side of things is is so, so important. So I don't know how much of that happens at TAFE because I didn't go through that system myself. Mm-hmm. I basically just, my hospitality journey was, got my first job in my parents' cafe. And then from there, you know, had a friend whose friend was gonna be the chef at Trunk when Trunk was opening in mm-hmm. the city, right? And so mm-hmm. that was my first like real hospital job. And then from there, you know, the job offers, they were just there and i didn't i never considered oh maybe i should go and study at a tafe why would i do that you know yeah. i did a bit of certificate training at one point that was just through one particular employer who wanted his staff to do that for various reasons so but that's you know by that point i was like well that's not helping me be probably much of a better staff member like you learn so much when you're working mm. there's so much to be learned from being in restaurant service and a customer having this wild dietary requirement yeah. and, you know, I should also say like I'm talking very much from a front of house perspective. Chefing is a completely different ball game mm-hmm. or a very different ball game. And that's not something we do at Scarf and we've never done, we've never trained chefs at Scarf. You can't train a chef in, in 10 weeks in someone else's restaurant. Yes. But yeah. I mean, we've had a, f- a few kitchen hands, um, you know, we've, we've offered a kitchen hand position at times, Um okay but it is predominantly a front-of-house training program. And I guess, you know, that's born out of myself and Jess. Like we had hosp- we had front-of-house experience and mm-hmm. we knew that to be able to, you know, work in events, you didn't actually need to have a lot of experience. You just needed to be available, ready to to kind of learn on the job. Sure. We've both done that. So I don't know if that's that's kind of my take. Mm. From my perspective, mm.
3: Mm,
2: I think it's – what is severely lacking is the development of soft skills yep. um, in general. I think it can be done in schools. I think it can be done in, in training facilities. I think it, there are so many aspects in which HOSPO is the breeding ground for good soft skills, and I think like that's probably why companies like big franchises like the Golden Arches and things like mm-hmm. that have been so successful because they train young people from a young age in soft skills yep. and those soft skills then become the soft skill foundation of what brings people through life and that development of emotional intelligence and um, of confidently speaking to someone and looking them in the eye of being able to take an order of being able to use a computer system to lodge that order to be able to communicate with a chef over the past even when they're angry or grumpy or whatever mm. is like All of those developmental soft skills I think are lacking and even we're seeing that a lot more so now because of things like social media and and digital interaction things. We're so far removed from developing those soft skills as young people that I think that is becoming an issue. Um, So that's one aspect I, I experience and have experienced a lot is that development of those soft skills but From a commercial perspective, training for chefs has become so dumbed down now because every industry is so commercially driven that we get steaks cut already, we get fish butchered already, we get sauces made in cans and bottles and canisters. And um, there is so little that we actually have to produce as chefs now that it becomes like, why bother from a commercial perspective? So someone like a massive organisation, like, say, for example, the people who do catering for the MCG, Mm -hmm. they're a commercially driven environment that is only focused on one result, which is making money and providing their customers with food. They don't really, I might be speaking out of turn here, I'm not speaking on behalf of anyone, but they they don't really care what the result is for the customer, Mm. other than they got the food.
0: Yep, and they paid for it. And they paid for it. Mm.
2: So, ultimately, like, a lot of big business is driven that way now. Mm. Is like the food has been delivered, the customer has got the food, the customer has paid for the food and drink, whatever. Yes. Mm. Is the in-between. Mm. And the in-between is, I think, where Scarf or Cassette or Liminal, the Marlborough group, those smaller groups have a much greater focus and that is on hospitality in general. Mm. Like, I think that messaging has been like dropped along the way because like you know when I started my apprenticeship it was four years now it's two
3: yes
2: (laughs) so the gap of those two years is so astronomical in terms of the skills that uh, that we are taught like I did things like butchery and aspect work and and you know buffets and terrines and like all of these sorts of things they're no longer in the curriculum because everything can be bought in.
3: Yeah.
2: Like, they don't teach, like, basic skill sets anymore other than what is absolutely baseline minimum knowledge so that the kids who are coming through the industry now, they don't get that knowledge anymore. They don't Mm. get... Unless they're passed down from people like me, like veterans in the industry. Sure. It's like, why why would you you pay an apprentice to do a job that you can buy in exactly the same thing without the wastage, without the labour, all of those... Like, from a commercial perspective, that is 100% where they're coming from. I totally get it. Like, we mm. are all here to make money at the end mm. of the day. We need mm. to survive. Mm. But there is a very much, there is a big set of skills on the in between. And for me, that's one of the most beautiful things about being a zero waste, zero food waste space is that we can literally teach people from end to end of a vegetable, of a meat, of a fish, of, a, of a, and every, everything. Mm. Um, And so that for me is the fun part of food, like that's the experimental part, that's the exciting part, that's the like, let's do something completely out of the box with this so that we are actually utilising 100% of this product, Mm. apart from the dirt that comes in, you know, like, and we'll find a way, Um, (laughs) it it goes into our zero waste composter and then that goes out into, you know, the environment and it gets turned into something else, so... There's just always a way to do something with something. It's just about having the the time and the focus and the, the energy to spend on that. Mm. And it's just I think a lot of people are more focused on the energy they spend making money mm. than where the money is made and how it's made.
0: Yeah, so, totally yeah. agree. Um, thanks for your thoughts on that. That's all right. Um, finally, Hannah, let's let's hear about um, what's next for Scarf. Um, what are the goals for the future? Um, how do you hope to continue making an impact in the lives of so many trainees? As I said in the intro, um, it's over 300 now. Um, what's next for SCUF?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. Um, and there's not uh, a sort of easy answer. I guess, you know, we're still very much adjusting to having been in pandemic survival mode. Um, it's been a really destabilizing three years and we've just hung on. Um, so, you know, I said earlier, like we're looking, 2023 is looking really good, and it, and it is. I think the industry, um, you know, after obviously so much destabilisation for the hospitality industry, um, which of course has flowed on to us as an organisation and the way we do things, um, the industry, certainly there are still challenges, but we are feeling more confident that our model can continue. Um, in saying that, you know, we, um we our sustainability has been thrown into into question because in 2020 we operated zero dinners you know and so we did have that big question of well one what is scarf if we are not in restaurants um and also, you know, how do we survive financially? Because pre-COVID, we were about 70% self-funded by the income from the dinners. Um, you know, we have amazing partnerships, not just with restaurants, but with um, a lot of like um, drinks companies, you know, Unico Zello, um, Starwood, Stomping Ground, like amazing companies that donate stock to us that we can then on sell at the dinners. And that helps to fund the whole model and pay the trainees and overheads and so on. So just sort of finding our feet now, you know, in terms of the right mix of self-generated income, but also looking at, you know donations and grants um we are a registered charity as well and so we've always been or well, since 2014 um we got the charity status we've been eligible for for grants and donations and they they've always made up a, a bit of our income for the organization um that increased during during covid during the times where we either couldn't operate or were operating at a much you know lower level um, But I think, you know, there's so much possibility. I think working with a venue like Cassette, it's just, it is really exciting. It's invigorating for us as a team, for our board. You know, I think going forward, I would like to be working with more venues that have a really, you know, specific way of doing things and really strong values because I think not only is it, you know, it's great for our diners to 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 come and experience something different and kind of learn about you know these different and awesome ways of of working in hospitality but also like so amazing for our trainees for their first foray into Melbourne hospitality um, being you know a lot more layered I guess Um, yeah I think um, I think there are a lot of opportunities for us in terms of expanding some key partnerships to help make sure that we're sustainable going forward Um, we're sort of heading into i guess a new phase like turning 13 where we're not a new we're not a startup social enterprise anymore (laughs) Mm. Um, we're a quite established organization we've done a huge amount of work in recent years on like our trauma-informed framework you know making sure that the way we induct our mentors and our trainers um, the way our staff work is you know, as safe and inclusive as possible for our trainees so that they have the best possible experience. Um, but also, you know, making sure that the job opportunities are there as well. And that's a big part of our work that sort of goes unseen a little bit. The dinners themselves are really fun and awesome and they're super important. But there's a huge amount of work that goes on behind the scenes to recruit our trainees and mentors, our partner restaurants, um, to make sure that, we're, um, that we've, we've got really good connections to... Um, potential employers as well and that we're providing you know the post program support so once a young person graduates we don't just wave them off we provide up to 6 months of post program support so we've always got this you know cohort that is still that we're still working with even once we've moved on to the next mm. bunch you know the next newbies um so i think you know we want to stay true to our values and our mission um obviously yeah money you know at the end of the day the 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 figures have got to stack up so um, I'd say that's one of our biggest challenges at the moment, is keeping the whole thing afloat, but also making sure that, you know, when we're working with restaurants like Cassette, we're hopefully paying you all enough to cover your time and, you know, the food costs as well, um, because, you know, you're a small business too, you can't afford to do it for free. Yep. Um, you know, maybe down the track we work with some bigger businesses that maybe can afford to do that, that's something we're talking about. Okay. Um, but I hope we don't lose that connection to smaller businesses like mm. Cassette um, because I think, you know, it's just, yeah, it's a really positive partnership. and
0: Excellent. Um, where can people find out more information about these scarf dinners that are currently on at Cassette or volunteering their time if they've got industry knowledge as well Hannah?
1: Yeah so everything's through our website and socials we're scarf community.org and we are just at scarf community on Instagram and Facebook Um, yeah lots of information about how to book in for dinners apply as a mentor um, contact us if you're potentially an employer who might like to hire one of our grads we would love to hear from you Um, and look one of the best ways for people to engage is yeah come to a dinner enjoy some good food and drink and um I think seeing the program in action is it's it's a really special thing to be part of. Um I think that's one of our strengths as an organisation is you as a diner you're really part of this like very tangible change. You can see, particularly if you're able to to come early and later in a season, you see this pretty amazing transformation for the trainees. For me
2: that was one of the most like prolific experiences was just the start to the finish of the mm. programme and, and seeing and engaging in that process. It was just amazing.
0: I, uh, I can't wait to come to Cassette and have a dinner uh, for this autumn. Um, thank you for both for the, the work you do. Uh, it's incredible. And if you're listening to this podcast and you're a supplier to the industry and you want to support Scarf because that's just a good thing to do and support more people going through this program, then make sure you reach out to staff community. Uh, all the information is in the show notes of this podcast so you can reach out. Hannah, Laura, thanks so much for your time
1: thank you thanks sean
0: <laughs> thanks again for tuning into another episode of principle of hospitality i hope you really enjoyed that episode and I definitely meant what i said at the end of the podcast there if you can support and go to autumn dinners or if you're a supplier to the industry and you can support scarf community i know they'd really really appreciate it please comment like and share this podcast with your friends in the industry we're making this content With the industry in mind, we're focusing so much on leadership this year. So we'd really appreciate you sharing along with those that you know. And until next time, stay safe, everyone. Have you ever considered what makes a brand successful? How one brand supersedes another in the hospitality landscape? Well, it's never a coincidence. It's always a product of well-thought-out branding strategy that captures the essence of your story. That's why principal design is making brands happen in cafes, restaurants, bars, and venues by crafting experiences that gives customers a reason to choose you. They are raising the standard of our industry and helping venues realize that strong brand presence is the key that unlocks all the good stuff like increased foot traffic, higher engagement, and overall happy customers. Branding ultimately becomes the face that engages your audience, delights them at every moment of their dining experience, and eventually earns their loyalty. Because you're part of the PO community, we'd love to help you kickstart your brand journey. For a limited time only, Principal Design is offering free strategy sessions for our listeners. So jump over to the bio in the podcast description and book your time slot.